Hello, my name is Glenn Duggan and I'm pleased to present the following interview with Dr. Kevin Coidle, who is a research fellow with the Department of Computer Science in Trinity College, Dublin. Today's interview is provided by Trinity College's Office of Corporate Partnership and Knowledge Exchange. The office supports both industry engagement and the commercialization of Trinity Research, and today's guest, Kevin, collaborated with the office on the commercialization of his own PhD research. The office reaches out to industry and the business community to develop partnerships which enable industry to benefit from the world-leading teaching, research and infrastructure within Trinity. So please sit back and enjoy the interview as I explore the fascinating research which Kevin is currently involved in which is contributing to the development of a new form of decentralized social network, which Kevin predicts will strengthen the democratic place of the individual in the control of their own data. Before we get started chatting about the actual project you're involved in, the Heliosphere project, could you just tell me a little bit about your background and how you've come to this point in your research, please? Yeah, um, so my background is from different areas. So basically, I studied a degree called business engineering in Germany. So that's basically where I started the academic journey. And business engineering with a specific focus on computer science. So it's a very unique degree they have in Germany that gives you very deep insights into computer science, but also helps you gain business perspective. And um, that, that was quite useful for me. What I then did was I started to also study philosophy, mm-hmm. which gave me like a broader picture into, into um, bigger questions of society and of research and, and how to address these. So basically, I did design in a way um, an academic path that was very broad at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I was able to do that in the way the university was structured back then and then after finishing my degrees I was like a dual masters I came out with um, I then worked for the German automotive industry as a, as a consultant back then it was EDS which is a, which was a big consulting company and was then acquired by HP and I worked basically with a lot of automotive suppliers in Germany and just basically helped them and consulted them design and and use their and use systems internally. So typical work what a consultant would do when they go to McKinsey this kind of work. But then uh, I kind of was missing the university, and I started to think about uh, at least tease with the idea to do a PhD. But I was very strict on doing a PhD in in a field that relates to what I was doing in philosophy, which was artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the the connection of everything. So the stuff that was coming out of my computer science work philosophy was all was all pointing towards um, artificial intelligence as research field and I started to check if I could do the PhD uh, in, in that field and and I wanted to do that funded like I didn't want to pay massive fees I needed a stipend or some kind of scholarship and I needed some kind of um, financial support from whatever the PhD program is that I do so I got a couple of good offers but most of them were not funded and uh, I did then end up getting a funded PhD position in Trinity College which is where I then did my PhD and and in Trinity College uh, my PhD was in a specific field called personalization systems 
which is how to how to use artificial intelligence to make systems understand what your knowledge level is and then help you acquire more knowledge by basically working with systems that constantly change and, and adapt to the users' needs, behaviors, and preferences. And that then turned into a, a very good PhD outcome, and which then turned into a commercialization, which also brought me in contact with uh, John Whelan and his work. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and, and now I'm basically working a lot with social media applications and specifically personalization and AI and social media because I believe that's the next frontier of personalization systems. So it's basically continuing that research story which was typically behind the screen, which is like e-learning systems and, and systems that acquire a high level of adaptivity towards the user mm -hmm. is now um, basically blown up and become really big in social media systems, which I'm looking at. And, and the next frontier, which is a lot of the research I'm doing at the moment, is looking at how we socially relate with objects, digital or smart objects in our environment. So the web or the internet, as we know it, is, is, is slowly becoming part of our physical environment. So we we'd be using less and less screens, we'd be using less and less phones, and we would start to engage with objects in the physical environment, uh, which are smart or digitally enforced, which like we do that already with Alexa devices in our bedrooms and living rooms. Uh, we do with Google Now and Siri on our phones. So basically this story just continues and becomes a lot more interesting as, as, as research and technology evolves. Okay, great. And specifically, I'm interested in this Heliosphere project that you're working on at the moment. Is this part of what you're doing at the moment or is this the, um, the, the main focus right now? No, it's 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 actually a very nice uh, side story that just came out of of some ideas we had, and it happens often in research, which is one of the reasons I I, I love being in in this field is uh, we have the space to explore new ideas and to see where they go, um, and um, there's basically two projects I'm I'm strongly involved in. One is Helios. Um, okay. And Helios is a European Union H2020 funded. So basically H2020 being the big European funding, funding apparatus, let's say, mm -hmm. or a budget of the European Union, with about 80 billion euros that goes right. into the European universities that um, researchers have to compete for yeah. in, in grants. If researchers are successful, then they get this money to do what they wrote in their proposal and what they promised basically. And, and we won one of those called Helios, which is to create a new social media system, which is completely trust-based and decentralized, um, which means there's no central server, which means the control and the privacy um, issues um, and challenges are very much uh, mitigated by giving the user a lot more control over the data. Can I interrupt you there just to ask you, Kevin, um, specifically about that idea of decentralization because i'm interested in that now i'm coming at this from the perspective of somebody who is not somebody with a computer science background and i've heard terms like blockchain decentralization could you explain in kind of layman's terms how on earth you decentralize something like a social network i mean in, in practical terms because i don't understand how that could happen yeah it, it basically means that the devices directly connect with each other Instead of connecting with a server, they connect with each other directly. Um, okay. So the devices form basically a server or a, a, a connection. And just to give you an example, and I don't know if some listeners are maybe um, 
can can relate to this. I'll give you two examples. One is the old mailbox system where you would directly ring um, a mailbox. This is like back in the 80s, mm. like when the internet basically just started or the web started. When you when you basically start to connect to a computer, you dial through a modem directly into a computer. So it's a, it's a one-to-one computer connections or will be the same with the smartphones in this case okay. phones connect directly as if they as if as if you're ringing someone on the phone if you if you dial a number now on your smartphone you get a direct connection to that other person yeah. and that direct connection is often data like often um because it's it's 3g or 4g and those are digital basically digital pathways they use digital technology from analog into digital so um it is in a way, you could say a telephone call is decentralized. So the same principle and technology applies for exchanging data in a decentralized network. It's like ringing okay. a phone. And another example is, um, which, which was very, um, big in the nineties, um, is, is, is this whole idea of peer to peer networks where people share music or, or movie files or bigger files within a big network of, of computers and then, all the computers basically hold the information, but only nuggets of the information. And this yeah. information then gets pulled from all the other computers and connected on your own device. So again, there's no central server. That's how, what a torrent is. Yeah, it's like a torrent. So it's the same idea. So basically the old uh, it's a bit torrent, basically, where people were downloading movies and, and songs. And, and basically that's now gone away. A lot of it's gone away because we have subscription models and people yeah. don't really can't be bothered to use BitTorrent anymore, but but that same that same technology applies to social media networks that are decentralized. So you basically okay. have direct connections with everybody engaging with, and your data is everywhere but nowhere at the same time. And can I ask then? That's taking a lot of power out of the hands of the corporations. And what I'm trying to get to the bottom of, no, well, I'm not an investigative journalist here, so it's just for my own interest. What I'm trying to understand is who does this benefit? I mean, it benefits from what I can see. It benefits the consumer. The idea of this decentralized process but how is it financed i mean i know that the grant is there to do the research but is this idea to actually start building a new network or is the idea to kind of provide the structure for it for somebody else to come in and build it afterwards what what exactly is the the background to helios from that sense yeah it's it's basically all of what you just said um first of all to put it on a bigger picture or just to like the bigger story that is unfolding here is that the European Union is is increasingly concerned about the accumulation of personalized data, specifically social media data, in in corporations that are predominantly in California and America, mm. and um, that creates a very very dangerous shift in competitiveness because the more data they have, the more they can learn, the more machine learning they can apply, the less likely or even impossible it is for any incumbent incoming uh, company or technology to get up or to catch yeah. up. So the European Union is very keen in investing in research or platforms or infrastructures that provide some kind of balance against this power that is now accumulating in California. And the way that happens and that's what, what Helios uh, is, is funded to do is to create infrastructure. So we call this also like the operating system for social media platforms. So basically we provide modules and a certain infrastructure that others can then build social media applications on top of. Yeah. Because most successful social media applications nowadays are not like one big Facebook. 
Um, they're usually very specific, like they're specific for dating, they're specific for business people, they're, they're specific for, uh, let's say, exchanging movies or texting. So they always have specific use cases and, and yeah. that's where we come in. And the other part is just a, a, an important part here as well. And, and that's, the, I think, the, the nature or the motivation or philosophy or behind this is the technology that we know as the web that basically connects websites with each other and that we basically uh, live off every day, that was um, that, that came out of research. So there was no mm -hmm. commercial interest. There was nothing behind that that somehow drove or, 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 or was um, motivated by commercial interest. So the web itself is a, is a very strong research-funded kind of paradigm. And the other one is what we know as Linux. So when yeah. Windows was very dominant in the 80s and 90s, Linus Torvalds, um, this this guy, this amazing genius developer, just thought, okay, screw this. I want my own my own operating system. So he just created open source and created an open source operating system that we now know as Linux, and it was quite successful. And again, it didn't have a commercial uh, driver. It just it was built by communities, and we're hoping that it's similar with Helios or with similar um, motivation coming from the European Union that we can that we can drive some kind of foundational technology and frameworks that then others can build upon. Well, without wanting to over-egg it, it sounds a little bit like a strategic, almost like a data war, if that's not too strong um, an idea. You know, Europe is trying to become in some way independent from the US and maintain our own data. And this kind of gives us that bit of freedom in that sense from the big corporations. But something that comes up when I think about that is the idea of trust, because you did mention trust there. And I watching one of your contributors and one of your video interviews, they also mentioned um, the idea of in an ideal world, they, they with their interactions with social media, they would like if there was some sort of trust score for people on social media. And I know you're you're looking to incorporate things that you learn from your interviews and so on into your into your data and your research and maybe your your proposals for the, the bigger Helios project. So how something a concept like trust, how do we decide who is trustworthy and you know who decides and and even if we do, can somebody like Trump just come out and say fake and just undermine our concept of trust anyway yeah that's that's a really important question and to be honest to be very honest i don't know and nobody actually that i know knows that answer it's it's mm. a very it's a very complicated area trust as such is so embedded in everything we do um we, we trust paper to pay for our for our goods for our food so basically this paper this paper, which we call money, is completely worthless. But for for some reason, we trust institutes like the central bank to mm -hmm. to make this work. So there's 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 a big element of trust and trustworthiness within our society, and it glues our society. So we we kind of need trust, otherwise this world just gets too complicated we just have to outsource complex things and then trust that they work and, and that's the key and also for us in technology or in a computer science perspective trust can be measured because it is a direction or it is a it is a prediction almost if i if mm -hmm. i trust a person then it implicitly means that i that distrust will increase or decrease if that person does what I hope or predict that person will do, um, if that person consistently does, like let's say a colleague of mine consistently creates great output and really good work, then I will increasingly trust that person. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, it's basically something that can be measured. And in a social network, 
this this trust paradigm then um, transforms into access of information, and, and that's a really important part of today's world. And, and that is going terribly wrong because our information is basically misused, and it's not clearly communicated for what it is used. So basically, we don't really trust these institutes anymore, such as mm -hmm. big companies that hold our data. So, so as a technologist, can we design a social system that understands who I engage with on a consistent base and who I'm starting to trust more because of my engagements with that person? And then can the system help me open more information to that person because of the trust level? So I'll give you an example. If we're meeting in some networking session, let's say in the science gallery, and I don't know you, and we're, mm -hmm. we're in the same context, we're in some conference, and I know you have the same interest, our devices can connect, such as the way Bluetooth connects, and, okay. and we could exchange some ID with the phone. And that means there's a very high level exchange of contact information. So which is maybe just a name or an ID. And I'm not really giving you any information because I don't really trust you yet. But if I, yeah. if I meet you again and if I start sending you emails and I start engaging with you, the device can open up a bit more and can exchange an email address or maybe give you access to some, some uh, additional information like my telephone number or can give you access to chat channels or some kind of more closer ways to communicate with me. So, yeah. so as, as our engagement increases, the trust, the social graph becomes trust enforced and you based on the trustworthiness of our engagement you uh, receive more access to my personal information but i actually mm -hmm. control it because it's all based on my device it's not uh, stored in some server that i can't control yeah i notice in the way you speak you have a kind of a social science slant to you and i think maybe a lot of that is coming from the philosophical background as well and i'm i've watched as i said a number of your videos wondering specifically about the type of research that you're doing i'm sure that you're doing a lot of number crunching in the background which is um basically what you're talking about they're developing these systems that can uh, measure trust and so on but as regards the videos and the interviews that you're doing in the heliosphere project it seems unusual for a computer scientist to be doing their research in this way where did you get the idea to do this and what does it add to your experience of this particular research project yeah um it is it is um the case that i'm a quite I'm a, as, a, as a scientist and computer scientist i am a bit unusual because i have this very strong philosophical and social science background mm -hmm. and i also have have a have a strong um how should I say, interest and also experience in commercializing research, which was the outcome of my PhD. Um, so I, I, I kind of tap into all these different fields. And, and as it happens in research, somehow things connect. And, and this beautiful research field, which we now call computational social science, um, yeah. uh, came up. And, and in computational social science, it's specifically social media systems that I'm fascinated about because these social media systems are so so encompassing they they just they just involve so much research in so many different fields and they're also becoming so impactful and so important for how we relate to each other in the in the physical world mm -hmm. and how relationships are changed through technology that all these um, beautiful new projects are coming out of it so, such as the heliosphere which is a, a social experiment around debating which mm -hmm. which you could argue that if somebody is in a debating chamber or in like a in like a, in a debate with many people and there's a panel and there's like an audience and then that that debate itself is already a social network and, and a quite nice one and how can we use artificial intelligence to support debates and and this this kind of social field um, that evolves in that space and all these projects are mostly 
motivated also by the research group I'm in, which is ADAPT and, and also the computer science department here in Trinity, which is highly, highly interdisciplinary. So we yeah. traditionally always looked at projects um, that have a, have a very personal component, bring the user into the focus and, and don't just focus on, on, let's say, optimizing a certain algorithm, which is also done. But um, the beauty of this department and this research group is that it's very much interested in interdisciplinary work and specifically that involves the user and how the user relates to technology. Mm -hmm. And you seem to really enjoy it. I mean, uh, just from a human perspective, you know, watching you um, taking part in this project, you do seem to be getting a lot out of it. It seems to me that you've got a real passion for it. And this particular project seems to be more than just a research project for you. Is there a personal aspect to this? Yeah, and I think I think that is very essential as a researcher. I don't. I think I think research um, nowadays is a very tough place to be in. It is known to be uh, very tough because it's very low in salary, so you have to sacrifice a lot of, let's say, material wealth. Because you could, I could just walk off to Google and earn five times what I earn here. So I, I do sacrifice very much on the material side, and the sacrifice is rewarded though because. In research, we get to to actually shape society and, and really look at challenges that are very deep and very important for the future. And when I say future, this could be 50 years or even 100 years ahead. Uh, and, and we have that freedom because we're not commercially driven and also teaching and working with students and just getting some really challenging questions and just connecting with the next generation is, is very powerful and very rewarding. And personally, this field of social media and social or computation, social science, for me personally, is so important because I'm just seeing too much things going wrong in, in, in the usage of social media and, and how how our phones and how these technology are, technologies have creep kind of taken over most of our social engagements and social relationships and and um, it's just fascinating scary and really exciting at the same time and we're, we're, we're moving into into phenomena like one is one I just picked up two weeks ago which which is quite uh, disturbing is that so-called tinderization of relationships so apparently now now based on based on um, the excessive usage of tinder for dating and forming relationships with others many relationships break up really quickly because uh, the next partner is just around the corner because you just have to swipe your phone and meet someone new if that partner starts bringing up some kind of challenges or the relationship doesn't work out you just kind of move on all the time so it's it's kind of just fascinating how how all this kind of moves together. It's like our entire access to information as well, the way we quickly flick through pages and don't really read long books anymore. But then again, mm -hmm. there's an army of people that read loads of books. So it's kind of at the same time, also not clear what is changing in society. And I do believe that we're now at a point, at least in the next five to 20 years, where there'll be deep paradigm shifts in society that will definitely shape the way we live and the next 200 years and i'm talking about self-driving cars uh, assisting devices the use of social media the increased uh, dominance of artificial intelligence applications uh, used in surveillance and um, mm -hmm. any kind of video and phoning uh, technology it's it's just going to be very very quickly very very much and, and it'd be very interesting how we as a society react to that and there's so many ethical and, and yeah. uh, ethical questions there as well which we have no idea yet how to address 
On, on that specific thing of AI being used to maybe scan faces, facial recognition and so on in airports and maybe even in public places. I know London has uh, security cameras all over, but um, I did see somebody who is now selling a range of clothing, a hacker who's selling a range of clothing, which has faces all over it um, or versions of faces that at least a computer system will pick up as faces specifically designed to confuse the system. Does it give you hope? that there are always going to be people out there who will be resisting these changes in some way. And, and that kind of, you know, it, it keeps the, the companies on their toes. Yeah, I, I think that that's a nice, uh, that's a nice example you're saying and a nice social experiment. There's a lot of, a lot of these things going on where, where artists are playing with these, uh, these technologies. It's also a great project called Invisible Art, where you can beam, basically you can beam a, a, a piece of art into Tiananmen Square. Like Tiananmen Square, you could never put up a banner, a protest banner in Tiananmen Square mm. because it's highly protected by the Chinese government. But if you walk up with your phone and you hold it into a specific area of Tiananmen Square and you have that application, that arts application open, you will see that piece of art through your phone uh, as if it's there basically mm. on, on on the augmented reality technology okay. your phone can do your phone basically just beams it into that position and then it's yeah. like as if that piece of art is in that position so there's there's great ways to use technology to to always move around these restrictions but it's the one big thing that i'm that gives me hope but i'm also a little bit concerned about which is democracy so what okay. always is is um basically the elephant in the room is democracy so in any point in time we as as citizens of a democratic society can elect uh, politicians that in any point of time can regulate all these companies, can mm -hmm. break them apart, can govern and, and create policies, how the data has been used. So we as as users, we as as people, we're actually a lot more powerful than we think. Like we, we could I need to, I could I could become a I could basically become a TD or politician tomorrow and start canvassing to break up Facebook. I mean, it'd be hard doing that from Ireland, but yeah. um, I mean, it's not something I want to do, but I'm just saying it is quite possible to become a politician, let's say in America, and then go ahead and break up Facebook and say that the data has to be given back to the people. And that's in the power of policies and, and policymakers. So that's the hope is in democracy. And that's why Heliosphere is such a nice project where we're supporting um, democratization of debates, basically, and using AI to to analyze debates and make sure that they're not biased or controlled in any way. But the, the flip side, obviously, is that democracy is in danger, which we saw with the use of Facebook and, and how Facebook was basically weaponized against democracy, which now resulted in potentially... Trump being the president or Brexit happening. And, mm -hmm. and there we kind of go as a scientist, especially, well, what's going wrong? How, how is it possible that these platforms suddenly become weaponized because they yeah. were supposed to be good for everyone? So I, I kind of both have hope that democracy can balance all of this. But at the same time, I'm kind of very worried about democracy because we're seeing how data can be used to weaponize and ma manipulate um, the electorate and anybody who has a vote. Yeah. Okay, and um, just getting back to the uh, AI topic that you mentioned earlier, and you have a background in AI as well. In one of the videos I've seen, um, some of your work, you mentioned that you felt that AI would have a smaller impact on people's lives than people seem to think in terms of job losses and so on. Would you mind telling me a bit more about that? Yeah, I am. Um, like my my main research field is is AI, um, even though, like I said, it's computer say, computational social science, but AI is so 
encompassing basically that it's it is very much my research field um i just apply it to social science that's what i'm really interested in and how how these masses of data and experiences can be can be uh, supported to to create better impact in society um but again there is a there's a big debate out there with artificial intelligence which usually comes down to narrow ai or general ai which is the ai we the ai we know at the moment is is basically just assimilation so we use as much as possible um information mm-hmm. to identify patterns in behavior and then we just replicate these patterns and the machine just learns that all the time if we take face recognition software for instance if you want to recognize a certain face if you want to distinguish a face from everything else so you basically feed a, an algorithm with millions of faces with sunglasses on beards mustaches shapes big small whatever and then um the algorithm basically just takes the bit musters of the color coding so it basically doesn't know it's even a face just a certain encoding that repeats so mm-hmm. the bit patterns of the colors are in a certain pattern and it just learns those patterns mathematically learns those patterns and then if something else comes up such as a banana then it basically the only thing it can say is this is not a face and if a face, it doesn't know it's a banana because it wasn't trained on bananas, it wasn't trained mm-hmm. on that kind of data. But if a face comes up, we can say with a certain probability, this is a face. So if we take jobs, because you mentioned that example, so in, yeah. in the job space at the moment, the only jobs that can be replaced are jobs that are highly, highly based on repetition, yeah. such as driving a taxi. Okay. And just the function of driving a taxi, obviously having a chat with someone on the back seat and all this kind of stuff, that, that's different. But just driving a taxi and, and steering it through a map is a very repetitive task and a machine can replace that. So the only thing that AI can do from my point of view is replace and support areas that are highly repetitive where we can get a lot of data. And mm-hmm. that definitely doesn't apply to any job that has leadership, creativity, anything that requires unexpected events levels of risk um decision making on on a more cognitive level and that's that's i think where the press or or basically a lot of ai debates kind of go a bit uh sci-fi i would say is where yeah. kind of say okay robots are going to take up everything and we had a lovely debate in worldcon the world science fiction conference that was in dublin last week and we had uh, we had a heliosphere debating chamber set up with the question would you replace your partner with a robot so oh, basically yeah. can we can we imagine in two three hundred years that that all this technology and the simulation of such goes into a robot and then you um you have a partner as a robot and it's an interesting question because if if, if a machine tracks all my engagement like how I behave and how I move and what I like and what I don't like. And it learns all this. It could potentially create some simulation of a partner um, that I might like. And, and movies do it. There's a movie called Her and one, another one called Ex Machina, which, which yeah. focuses specifically on that. And, and it's just an interesting question. And I think it's very, very far away um, that these things happen, hundreds of years maybe. Um, and in the short term, we're just going to see support and replacement of highly repetitive tasks that that are far away from anything creative or anything that requires very uh, ad hoc or very um, cognitive interaction with with humans okay great which is why you're keeping your toe in the social sciences field (laughs) the way you can't be replaced yeah okay that's great so there's hope for democracy and there's hope for humans two um, bits of good news there i saw as well just sorry on a lighter note uh, you did the bright club event you took part in bright club where you had to do a, a stand-up um version of your yeah, project yeah, your, yeah. your phd was it your phd that related to no it's uh bright club is actually a great um 
a great project or great, great organization. Uh, I don't know if I could call it a project organization initiative. That's called initiative, yeah. um, where the Irish government um, pays professional comedians to pair up with scientists to communicate their science. In, in a funny way, uh, yeah. in, in a more, um, let's say, entertaining way. And it doesn't even have to be funny, just interesting and entertaining. And it's, it's okay. basically all, it's all on the track of science communication. And, and I'm a big fan of science communication. Again, Heliosphere is a big science communication um, project where it's essential that we as scientists communicate with the public about what we're doing, but but in a way that the public understands what's going on, and that's the bright job, like doing it in a funny way, but also advancing that and saying, okay, if the public then understands what we're doing, we as scientists should also listen to the public and, and figure out what they want and what they need, specifically in social science or computational social science, where, where we have to understand the concerns and the needs of the public as well. So so something as the heliosphere is like a two-directional communication, and, and bright club is actually amazing because it's you just get you get paired with very good very professional comedians and you kind of learn how to come just to communicate your your research in a, in a nice way and there's a couple of those initiatives the other one is the thesis in three minutes or the thesis yeah. in three or or dance your phd where you, <laughs> i haven't heard you know, that <laughs> like, yeah, yeah like, there's all these funny really interesting things um, that are out there and and they're all amazing because they help both the researchers and the public to connect and, and to understand uh, what's needed and where things are going yeah, well, you did a good job. I got a few laughs, and I liked the way you picked on the people in the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I would. Yeah, that's what I learned from the comedians. That's, I that's, guess that. Yeah, yeah. A bit of training. Yeah, Always pick on the people in the front row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was one guy with a big beard just sat there, was like leaning back, and he was like, he had this whole "Who do you think you are?" face, and I, yeah. and I was just like, okay, I'm gonna gonna crack this guy up, and, and it actually worked. It was actually quite funny. <laughs> yeah. You sound like a comedian. Yeah, when, well, you did mention as well your relationship with Alexa there um, in, in that particular video. And I actually, just as soon as I said Alexa, I've got a device here in the corner that just popped up blue. It's listening to me now. Um, I have a number of, eight of Alexa devices around the house. And I do get comfort from the fact that I find it incredibly stupid and annoying a lot of the time. And um, my kids are always uh, <laughs> my kids are always laughing at the way I interact with it, especially at dinner time when I ask it to play a specific song and it does something completely unrelated to what I asked so um yeah you mentioned in your bright club that you were um you felt bad you felt bad because you upset Alexa um no I, I obviously we wouldn't I wouldn't take that literally because it was a comedy setting and so on but you you I think you also called yourself a digital pimp in that you're you're yeah, you like the idea yeah. of um kind of creating some sort of relationship between AI and humans uh, despite the robot thing that we spoke about a minute ago, yeah, the the joke was basically that um, based on this this whole idea of can can robots replace a partnership? Then um, obviously um, there was jokes about uh, how will that change? I, I did a few jokes about the the whole idea of sex robots and how that would change. And then I did this joke about uh, being a pimp at the end because I'm designing. <laughs> I'm essentially, that's what my friends would say: designing sex robots. So it's, yeah. it's just, <laughs> this, this whole storyline in that YouTube video um, is, is is basically about me trying to tell my friends what I'm doing, and they're just saying, "Oh yeah, well you're actually just building sex robots." Yeah. So, so that's <laughs> yeah. it. That's it. But it's that's the comedy about it, and you can do that beautifully in, in Bright Club. And there's, there's other like there was one girl there as well, and she just talked about how bikinis changed over the years and. Mm. and why they changed and 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 that was really interesting and fascinating and you just get get a nice mix of people there 
Yeah, and you know something on that. I know you're. It's a joke. The idea of sex robots and the idea that this is what you're working towards, obviously, or not. Don't you know somebody's going to make money out of this at the end of the day when the technology is there? When these relationships can be built, um, science fiction eventually will lead to some horrific robot that's uh, taking the space of a husband or a wife in a household. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's weird. Um, these are very interesting social experiments, and on that topic, there's. There's um there's a lot of things uh, strange and fascinating happening in, in in some parts of the world, specifically Japan, and 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 also cultural things entwined with this, where um there's a really strong drive in in having a relationship with robots because mm. uh, then elements of shame and guilt and all kind of more complicated relationship issues apparently go away, but obviously they mm. don't. So again, it's it's just such a fascinating field because we don't as humans really understand how relationships work. We all some of us succeed most of us fail it's just such a messy hard thing uh, we we all have complicated relationships and we don't know why they're complicated and i do hope that with with some of this some of this uh, knowledge and technology we can actually support relationships and make it a bit better um, maybe even solve loneliness you know these kind of things hopefully go away and i mean if somebody is really old and really lonely why not chat with a robot that's, mm-hmm. that's quite possible like and then that if that person then is a bit happier then it's a success yeah, yeah, we're not there yet, but um, thanks to the fabulous work that yourself and your colleagues are doing, I think we're getting <laughs> a, a step closer. Kevin, I know you're in a rush, so thank you very much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. That's lovely, lovely interview. Thanks, thanks, a million. And and, and just a slight uh, side note: um, yeah. the Heliosphere project. Um, if I, if we can just throw in a, a mention there, uh, heliosphere.social. Um, we run, uh, heliosphere events almost monthly and they're online. They're streamed online. We use a 360 degree camera to bring the online audience into the debate. The yeah. next one is on Monday, the, uh, Tuesday. There's a book club event on Tuesday. We're going to use heliosphere, uh, for the, for basically debating a science book called Humanology from a colleague of mine here in Trinity. Um, and we have more events coming up and it's, it's, it's just nice for the public or maybe some of your listeners to maybe come to the Heliosphere and even online and just listen to debates and take take part in the debates by asking questions in the comment section or maybe even coming to the events and, and shaping this this debating technology that we're trying to come up with. Yeah. And it's not it's more than a debating technology. It's a science communication uh, device as well, which which hopefully helps everyone to to understand more what's going on. Yeah, great. Um, just from a very quickly, I just have a practical question as a yeah. uh, researcher myself. What I'm interested in is the, uh, the data that you're getting from these um, interviews and so on, and from these debates. Is it literally an engagement project, or are you actually gathering valuable data as well that you're analysing from these events? I mean, are you coding these events? Yeah, we're coding. There's a, there's a science component which we're really, really excited about. Is basically we're using speech to text text technology, where yeah. all everything everything that is said runs through a uh, speech speech to text module, which means it's uh, it turns into written text. Um, we don't record the voice, so we don't record the screen. We just basically dump it into text, and then we take out keywords, we take out sentiment, we take out positive mentioning, negative mentioning, the mentioning of names, places, objects, and so forth. And then we basically count how often someone says great, bad, 
democracy or, or pairs mm-hmm. of words. And then we recreate what we call debate analytics. So you can basically quickly see what's going on in the debate. You get a visualization of the debate. Uh, and if someone comes in late, they can immediately see what was talked about in the last five minutes. What are the hot topics? Is, is the bias more positive or negative? Who has th- these kind of directions? And then what we can then do is, uh, and these are all experiments and it's yeah. really fascinating. We could maybe even predict opinions. Like we can actually then yeah. start using this data in reoccurring debates and we could actually say, okay, there's a, there's a slight possibility that people will be um, against this notion or for this notion because we've seen this in the data before. So it's it's a really fascinating thing and surprisingly not done um, because I don't know, at some point there will be an election again and if we yeah. have the heliosphere technology ready, it would be amazing just to have a few politicians battle it out with the analytics yeah. <laughs> and see where, where that goes. And, and it's very, and it's, it's very visual, like, Nobody can lie then because then the visual, the, the AI says, well, you said oh. something else last week, why are you saying that now? And here's, here's, the, here's the fact because it was the text and that's the forward. So, so it's, it, it becomes very democratizing, it becomes very transparent, it becomes very uh, accountable and, and hopefully um, increases trustworthiness in, in, in debates in general and, and also inclusiveness that people, um, they can use the, the online component, they can, they can ask questions, they can be part of it. We use a hot share, which means someone from the audience can always sit at the main panel. It's all round, so it's a round table to uh, get in, increase inclusiveness. Um, so it's a quite exciting thing that just kind of came out of our work in, in social uh, computer, computation, social science, and I'm quite excited to see where it goes. Specifically, again, motivated by protecting and supporting democracy, because we need solid debates. That, that's what democracy is built on. Yeah, it's the feedback occurring in real time at the moment is this is this a uh, something you're aiming for so yes it's it's real time it's real time analytics it's real time yes okay and so people when they attend these events can actually you have a screen up somewhere or is it an app yes, or what yes. way is it there's a screen, a screen. There's a screen yes okay giving that feedback and in future in future when this grows i mean we're trying to get funding for it then obviously like really nice visualizations at some point and have an app or something i don't know we'll see where it goes it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. still like at the beginning it's still baby but baby steps but it's fascinating it's like a modern version of the clapometer <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, so yeah. people so, are People are sitting there and they're already, you know, a big green sign or a big red sign comes up and says, liar, fake. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Maybe, yeah, we'll see. But let's, let's just hope it actually helps and doesn't turn again into something weird that actually then starts to shape up it. Yeah. We just yeah. want to support debates. We don't want to start, like shaping debates that that would be all wrong yeah. so yeah. we'll see where it goes that's it after this podcast there's going to be some sinister group trying to figure out how to weaponize it so yeah yeah i'm sure yeah and again that'll be interesting as well we just have to we keep moving and 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 it's good that we're doing it and not someone else i hope because it's from a university and we have no commercial interests we have no um inherent bias towards uh anything um specific so hope, hopefully hopefully it works um, and with the technology it, it hopefully becomes a more exciting and more inclusive debate because that's what it's about it's just to create more inclusive debates and if the if the ai component doesn't work we'll just scrap it okay okay kevin thank you very thanks much a million, thanks Glenn. a million thank enjoy you. your day Talk to you soon. bye